Holy Father, we acknowledge that you alone are holy. We are so unholy. Our lives are so far from what you desire from, for us. And yet through Jesus Christ, you have given to us your very righteousness, clothed us in righteousness that we certainly don't deserve, but you have given it to us through Jesus Christ. We say thank you for that. And I pray that today through your Holy Spirit that you would speak to our hearts, that you would challenge us at the very root of what we believe and what we base our lives on, and that uh, you would call to yourself those who need to trust you as Lord and as Savior, who need to say, Jesus, I am a sinner and I need you in my life. I need your forgiveness. So speak to us, Father, in this day. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. I hope everybody's having a good new year. I had a good new year last night. Baylor won the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Baylor men's basketball won yesterday. They're undefeated. It's a good year for Baylor so far. It's only the second day of January, but it's a good day for Baylor. How does that sound? Okay. Hey, you know what? Perspective is everything. Look at this picture that uh, John's going to put on the screen here in just a moment. Voila. Look at perspective. Some of you have seen this before. What do you see? Do you see the old hag of a woman or do you see a young, beautiful lady? How many of you see the old woman? That's all you see. Okay. How many of you see the beautiful young woman? It's perspective. How many of you see both? Yeah, you can, you, can, you can picture them out. Yeah, exactly. Well, perspective is everything. And you know what? Our perspective in life has a tendency to impact how we think and what we believe. And what we think and what we believe has a tendency to impact how we act, how we behave. Uh, because behavior begins in our minds. And uh, what we believe then leads to how we behave in life. Uh, I've been thinking about our last six or seven months together as a pastor and as a, as a people. For those of you who have, haven't, you know, we're not around in the last number of months, I've announced my retirement. I'm going to retire sometime in July or so. Uh, and so I've been thinking about what do I need to leave with you? What is the most important thing that I can, can uh, do for you in these last six or seven months? What I want more than anything is for you to build your life on a solid foundation of the truth. In fact, John's words in 3 John in verse 4 really echo what I really desire for our church family. And that is, I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. See, I want your perspective in life to be built on the truth. Because if not, if you're not building your life, if you're not building your eternal destiny on truth, then, then you're building it on shifting sand. And, and because there are a lot of perspectives out there that you could build your life on, but all of them either lead to a dead end or damaging uh, or damning ends. They lead to any kinds of dangerous ends. We need a correct perspective in our life. And when I talk about perspective, I'm really talking about a word that maybe you've heard before, but that is your worldview. You need a Christian worldview. We call it a biblical worldview. Now, what is a worldview? Well, here's a good definition. My worldview are the beliefs 
that I build my life on. It's, it's how I view everything in life. It's how I view God. It's how I view um, Satan. It's how I view others. It's how I view myself. My worldview includes my thoughts about my life, about death, about the past, about the present, about the future. It includes what I feel about pain and about suffering, about problems, about good, about evil. My worldview includes also what I think about relationships, about my time, about my money. Everything that you and I think about in life is wrapped up in what we would call a worldview. The fact of the matter is that everybody has a worldview. Everybody has a perspective that they look toward life on. Um, And you operate off of some kind of worldview. Remember Forrest Gump? What did he say? Life is like a box of chocolates. That is, you never know what you're going to get, right? That's a worldview. If you hear somebody say, well, I've always thought of life as, and and then they say something, that's a worldview. I've always thought of life as a party, or I've always thought of life as a journey, or I've always thought of life as a circus, or I've always thought of life as a contest. That's a worldview. And and they're going to, those worldviews, there's going to be a lot of them out there. Worldview is what you think about life and all the elements of life, how you view yourself, how you view God, how you view others and the events of life. That's all a part of your worldview. And you know what? Your worldview is the most important tool that you have for navigating life on this earth. Now, let me explain. You see, your worldview is the basis on which you make all your decisions in life. It determines your choices. God has wired us in such a way, wired our brains in such a way, that every time you start to make a decision, your mind instantly accesses all the things that you've thought of and experienced in life, all the data in your mind. And it says, what do I believe about this? And then you make your decision unconsciously, but it's based on what you believe to be true. And so every time you make a choice, you access your worldview. It's all the ideas, all the experiences, all the images, all the beliefs, all the convictions, all the concepts, all the principles, all the standards, all the hurts that you've experienced in life. All of those go into forming your worldview. And so you make your decisions in life based on your worldview. For instance, if in your worldview you thought that the world was going to come to an end tomorrow, it would drastically impact how you acted the the next 24 hours. You would make decisions based on the understanding that tomorrow the world is ending. So we're going to talk over the next five weeks to help you clarify your worldview. And, And what I want you to see is This is not some kind of intellectual exercise. This is not some kind of, uh, you know, uh, some some kind of theory or philosophical concept that we're talking about. Now, what I'm going to be talking about is your very practical, most practical thing in your life because it's going to impact uh, your relationships. It's going to impact your failure, your success in life. It's going to impact your motivation, you know, what you hope to attempt in your life, what you want to achieving in life. All of that comes out of your worldview and is impacted by your worldview. Everything in your life is influenced by your view of the world in which we live. And what I don't want is for you operating in life 
on a false, out of order, uh, outdated, faulty kind of worldview. I want you to operate on the truth. That's the essential thing here. Now, why is it so important? (laughs) It's important because if you base your life on a faulty worldview, your life's going to be miserable. It's going to be disastrous. Things are not going to work out in your life the way that God intended it, nor in the way that you would desire it to be. So let's start out by looking at seven popular worldviews that we find here in America. Now, there are many, many worldviews out there, but let's look at these seven that are kind of predominant in the American scene. Uh, And you'll recognize these. Maybe you've never thought of them as being a worldview. But we're constantly bombarded by these things, uh, by the people around us. You find them in classrooms, in books, in movies, in music, in advertising, uh, throughout the media. There's worldviews that are out there that are being sent to you, okay? So let's look at number one. The first worldview can be summarized with the word more. More, more, more. And it's the worldview of materialism. (laughs) Materialism. Um, Materialism says that the only things that really matter in life are the acquisition of things. Materialists, you know, believe in life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. And, and if I can't afford it, hey, I've got credit cards. And, and so there I go, you know. The materialist, though, has confused my value with my valuables. Folks, there is a difference between your value and your valuables. They're not the same thing. You know, we think that if we have more, then I have, uh, I'm worth more, okay? But the truth is that your self-worth and your net worth are not the same thing. You don't gain value in life by the stuff that you accumulate in life. And a lot of people, you know, think, well, what does it take to be happy? I just need more stuff. That's called materialism. (laughs) Our Lord Jesus Christ loved to challenge conventional wisdom. In fact, as you read through the Gospels, one of the things you hear from Jesus over and over again, he said, well, you have heard it said, but I say to you, what is, what is he doing? He's challenging conventional wisdom. This is what people are saying, but I say to you, and it's something different. And so in, in uh, let me get it right, Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus challenged the conventional wisdom of materialism. Look what he said in Luke 12, 15. He said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, don't judge your life by how much you've got, how much you've accumulated. See, the greatest things in life are not things. So this is materialism. That's a worldview that's out there. And we see it everywhere. We see it especially here in Elko, the culture of Elko. Got to have the big trucks. Got to have the campers. Got to have the snowmobiles. Got to have the jet skis. Got to have all of this stuff. And that makes me somebody special. That's materialism. That's a worldview. A a second worldview that you hear a lot is, I've got to put me first. I think of me first. You know, we live in a me first world. We live in a world where everybody is uh, self-serving. It's a world that says it's all about me. We have the, you know, me first 
uh, mentality. Uh, we've got the, the me generation. That's a new term that's, that sociologists are using to describe our world, the me generation. Uh, we have the culture of narcissism. <clears throat> I mean, think about it, folks. Some of us in our pockets or in our purses, we have an iPhone because I am important, right? And what do we do with our iPhones? We take selfies, pictures of ourselves. That's a predominant worldview, and it's called individualism. Individualism. Individualism really says, I am the most important person in the world. In fact, the universe centers in me. And the, the, this kind of individual world, individualism worldview <coughs> would say, you know, I don't care what it does to the children. I don't care what it does to you. I'm walking out of this marriage. I don't care what it does to those that I work with. I am not taking responsibility for this. I'm not going to be responsible. I've got to think of me first. So it, it's a worldview that is totally self-centered. It's an individualistic kind of life that, that ignores the community, that pushes away other people. I do what's best for me. And again, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus taught a whole different worldview. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 25, he said, if you try to keep your life for yourself, and that's really a self-centered individualistic worldview. He says, if you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find true life. Uh, Jesus says the only way that you're ever going to really begin to live is when you start beginning to give your life away. So it comes from serving God and serving other people. So significance comes from challenging that conventional wisdom that says, it's all about me, live for yourself. The, this uh, worldview of individualism is closer related to the third worldview, which says, do whatever feels good. Live for pleasure, have fun. How did that song go? Uh, girls just want to have fun, something like that. Um, that worldview is called hedonism. Hedonism. And hedonism is simply the desire that says the most important things in life are what I feel. If I feel good, then it is good. If I feel bad, then it, it, it's bad. So your feelings become the judge of everything. It's all about pleasure. You know, the number one goal in life of a hedonist is to feel good and to have fun. <clears throat> now, folks, what I want you to know that pleasure is a creation of God. God created pleasure, but folks, it's not the goal of life. It's a benefit of living life in God. It's a, it's a benefit of, of doing the right thing. That's not the goal of life, not pleasure. In fact, the writer of Proverbs said this in Proverbs 21, 17. He says, those who love pleasure become poor. Those who love wine and luxury will never be rich. If all you're wanting out of life is fun and pleasure, and, and that kind of thing, you will never be satisfied. You're always going to want more. So that's a worldview called hedonism. Um, the fourth worldview that we have out there is pragmatism. And it's kind of summed up in the theme, hey, whatever works for you. In other words, it may not be my shtick, but if it works for you, hey, that's great. I'm, I'm glad you're doing that. It doesn't matter if it hurts anybody. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. If it works for you, fine. 
I mean, in those words of that great theologian Sly Stone, different strokes for different folks. That's what pragmatism is all about, okay? And you know, in, in our multicultured, pluralistic world, this is really a very popular viewpoint all around us. Because let's face it, nobody wants somebody to come up and say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. I mean, in our culture today, the only thing that is wrong is for somebody to come around and tell you, hey, what you're doing is wrong. Them telling you that is what's wrong. And so the pragmatism says, hey, whatever is, it works for you is all right to do. If it's working, that's good enough. Folks, there's a problem with that, all right? There are things that work that are evil. Just face it, there are things that work that are evil. I mean, if you're really irritating me, I could pull out a gun and shoot you dead, and that would solve my problem, wouldn't it? But it's evil to do that. It's wrong to do that. To, to do that would be totally offline. And, and so, you know, whatever works isn't necessarily right. Look at Proverbs 14, verse 12. In fact, this is a memory verse for this week. I want to challenge you to memorize this verse. It's a verse that all of us need to hold on to that simply says, there is a way that seems right for a man, but in the end, it leads to death. That's a great statement. There is a way that seems right for a man, but in the end, it leads to death. You know, it seems right, but in the end, it leads to destruction. There are a lot of things that, that, that seem right. You know, hey, whatever works for you, but in the end, they lead to destruction. They lead to death. They lead to, to a, a dead end. And I meet whatever works for you kind of people all the time in, in my daily life. I, those kind of people, you know, that are out there who are saying, you know, hey, so far so good. It's working for me. You know, you ask somebody, hey, you cheat on your wife? Well, yeah. Well, how's it going for you? Well, it's going good so far. Or, or you say, hey, are you, are you being unethical at work? Are you stealing from the company? Yeah. Well, how's it working? So far, so good, you know. Or are you getting strung out on drugs and alcohol? Yeah. How's it working? So far, so good. What the reality is that people who have that kind of philosophy are heading for a train wreck. Their marriages are, are being wrecked. Their careers are being ruined. Their children are, are, are being impacted by that. Their health is being, being uh, ruined by that. All looks good, but there's a train wreck ahead. And they're just saying, hey, so far so good. There is a way that seems right for a man but in the end, it leads to death. See, just because it's working now doesn't mean that it's right or that there's not going to be consequences ahead because all ideas have consequences. And so whatever works for you, that, that's pragmatism. That's a worldview. It's an incorrect worldview. Here's another one, <clears throat> a worldview that says, God doesn't exist. Or if he does exist, he doesn't matter. He's not concerned about that. This is the worldview of naturalism. Naturalism. <laughs> naturalism is also often called atheism. And yet, what you're going to find is that most atheists don't want to be called atheists. Uh, they would rather be called naturalists, just believing that, you know, the nature of the world around us is about all that, that exists. Um, you know, it's a worldview that simply says, I believe that everything that exists 
came about by chance. That uh, we're just, it's random chance that happened. We're all accidents of nature. You know, there's no grand creator. There's no uh, grand design for anything. Uh, there's no God. You know, God doesn't matter. Well, let me let you in on a little secret. If God doesn't exist, or if God doesn't matter, then you don't matter either. I mean, that's the logical, rational conclusion when you say that God doesn't exist, God doesn't matter. Uh, because what that means is that you're just educated slime. You just came out of the, out of the swamp, and you don't really matter. You just have a freak of nature. That you just show up on, on this planet. And, and, and so what? I mean, if you happen to get murdered, oh well. If you happen to get hit by a car and die, oh well, you were a freak accident when you got here. You have a freak accident and you're leaving here. Uh, so if there's no plan, no purpose, no design for life, then your life has no value. Your life has no meaning whatsoever. Folks, our only value comes from God that loves us and created us, and, and thought us up at the very beginning. Otherwise, your life has no value. It has no meaning. It has no purpose. Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 1, <clears throat> beginning at verse 20, when he said this, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. In other words, we can look at nature and we can see a lot around us that speaks of God. We know that God is creative. We know that God is powerful. We know that God loves diversity. We know that God is organized. So there's a lot that we can learn about God just by looking at His created world out here. I mean, without even reading the Bible, people can have an, in, an inkling of what God is really like. And this passage, though, tells us that people know about God, but they don't honor Him or even thank Him. They claim to be wise but they are fools. And the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Folks, what I want you to know is I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, okay? Uh, it takes a whole lot more faith to be an atheist than it does to believe in, in a God. It, to, to think that this world just happened randomly and everything fell into place that takes a whole lot of faith, a lot more faith than to say there is a great designer behind all of it. That doesn't take as much faith as to believe that, you know, this is just swamp ooze that's, that's all about us. Uh, you know, there is a designer behind this. Closely related to that idea is the sixth worldview. And that is you are your own God. You know, if we don't worship God, we're going to worship something, okay? And a lot of us worship ourselves. <clears throat> That's the idea that, you know, be your own God. And boy, that is very popular in America. And this worldview is called humanism. That simply says, I am the master of my fate. I'm the determiner of my destiny. I am the captain of my soul. That I'm divine. I'm a God. We love to hear that. In fact, that was the temptation that Satan gave to Adam and Eve in the very first place. In the garden, he says, eat this and you will be like 
God. <clears throat> we just want to be our own gods. And, and I want you to know something this morning, friends. You are not God. Okay? If you were God, you ought to be able to solve your, your own problems. Okay? If you're God, would you solve the problems of this world? Can I just simply say, you're not God. God is God and you are not. And, and so, think about this. God has wired us to worship something. That's the way we're built. We have to worship something. And if we don't worship God, we end up worshiping something, and usually it's ourselves. You know, the self-made man usually worships his maker. Now, let me say that again, because that went over the head of some of you. The self-made man, the self-made woman, usually ends up worshiping their maker. It's amazing to me that a lot of people want to create something to worship or they want to worship something that has been created by God instead of the real creator of all things. Romans 1.25 says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creator rather the created thing rather than the creator. <clears throat> so there's another worldview that is simply saying, I am my own God, Nat naturalism, or humanism, excuse me. There's one other worldview. It's the one that's found in the Bible. It's the biblical worldview uh, that God has created us. He's made us for His purpose. He loves us. He wants us to be in relationship with Him. And that's called theism. Theism. It comes from the Greek word theos, which means God. The Bible says that God created us for a purpose. In fact, Judaism and Christianity are based on this worldview of theism, that God has created us for a purpose. Paul wrote this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. It says, for through Him, and he's talking about Jesus Christ. He says, for through Him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. So everything, absolutely everything, was created by God for a purpose. And, and folks, you and I need to realize that you have been created by God and you've been created for God. And until you understand that, life isn't going to make any sense. You were created for God. You were created for a relationship with Him. And it's in that relationship that you're going to find meaning and purpose. It's in a relationship with Him that you'll find joy and the contentment that you need in life. So the challenge to each one of us is that we need to make sure that we're basing our lives on the foundation of God. A worldview that is centered in God and God alone. <clears throat> Jesus told a story to, to illustrate what I'm talking about this morning. He talked about two men. Each one of them went out to build a house. And one of them picked a great site down on the seashore, you know, where the view was beautiful and the weather was pleasant. And, and man, they, you could just go out in the yard and you could squish your toes down in the sand. It was a beautiful place to build and to be comfortable in. The only problem was the foundation was just a little shaky. But it was comfortable and it was fun to goof around in, you know. But he said when the floods came, the house couldn't stand. And it was totally destroyed. There are folks out there in our world 
who are building their lives on that which is fun and that which is comfortable, and they think it will last. But the problem with that worldview is that it's shifting sand. It's not going to last. When the problems, when the storms of life come, their life is going to crumble because there's no solid foundation there. Uh, you know, <clears throat> it's here today and, it, and it's gone tomorrow. It's the latest fun fad, but then it's gone. It, it leads to destruction. But Jesus went on and he, and he talked about the second man in the story, a man who chose a different building site. Maybe it wasn't comfortable. Maybe it was a little bit rigid, okay? Maybe it wasn't trendy like, you know, the sandy beach or whatever. Uh, but when the rains came and the floods rose, the house stood and it remained intact. Friends, if you and I build our worldview on God, maybe it's not going to be flashy. Maybe it's not going to be, you know, such as accumulating all the most toys in life or, uh, you know, seemingly eat, drink, and be merry kind of a lifestyle. But it will last. It's the only lifestyle that will last. Again, our memory verse, <clears throat> there is a way that seems right for a man, but the end leads to death. There in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right for a man, but in the end, it leads to death. In fact, let's say this together. Say it aloud with me. There is a way that seems right for a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Memorize that this week, will you? Okay. <laughs> so here are seven worldviews, seven perspectives that you could adopt to allow uh, and allow them to drive your life, to be the foundation of your life. So let's ask the question, does it really matter what I adopt? You know, can I choose one of those? Does it really matter? Well, let's ask the question, why does it matter at all? There, there are two common myths, okay, about what you believe. One of them is what we call the sincerity myth, and the other is the situational myth. The sincerity myth says, you know what, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're, severe, as you're sincere. Have you heard that one? Doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. There's only one problem with that. You can be sincerely wrong, all right? Um, it takes more than sincerity to make, make it in life. Sincerity is not enough. I've, I've got a glass of liquid over here. And I sincerely believe this is water. But if this was arsenic, and I believed it was water, it would sincerely kill me, wouldn't it? Right? So there are some things that you can be sincere about, and you can be sincerely wrong. Uh, you hear all the time of pilots who drive into the, fly into the side of mountains. <laughs> they sincerely thought that they were at the correct altitude, or they sincerely thought that they were where the pass through the mountains was, but they were sincerely wrong. It doesn't matter how sincere you are, because truth is truth. And if you're going to crash into the side of, of a mountain, you can do that and be sincere. But you're still going to be sincerely dead, right? I mean, think about it. Uh, the mountain isn't going to move because you're sincere about it. And truth doesn't move. Truth is always true. What was true 2,000 years ago is true today. 
What's true today will be true 2,000 years from now. Truth doesn't change. So folks, sincerity is not enough. Uh, the other myth is a situational myth. It says that it doesn't really matter what you believe. It depends on the circumstances you find yourself in. Uh, you can believe one thing in one situation, and in another situation you can believe something else. And you know what? This causes a great amount of stress. Because you've got different kinds of worldviews and different kinds of uh, philosophies that are competing against one another. The fact is <clears throat> that these worldviews that we've just talked about, they're all in competition for one another, against one another. I don't know if you realize it, but they're all competing for your time, for your energy, for your efforts, for your, for your money, for that matter, okay? A lot of people like to pick and choose. You know, they, they, they say, well, when I go on, out on a date, I'm going to have this worldview. And when I go to church, I'm going to have this worldview. And uh, when I need to cheat on a test at school, I'm going to have this worldview. But that's not the way it works, folks. Um, it's not just what's convenient. That's not how, how you make your decisions. Because what happens then is confusion and stress and all kinds of negative emotions. Truth, folks, is always truth. Believe me on that. Truth is always truth. There were two national surveys that I just want to mention. One was by the Barna Research Institute. And it suggested that a large share of the nation's problems are directly accountable to the absence of a biblical worldview among Americans. In fact, the National Survey of 2,033 different adults found that only 4% of Americans have a biblical worldview. 4%, okay? And remember, people use that worldview as a basis for their decisions. This, their decision-making process. And so the summary of the study um, was that the primary reason that people don't act like Jesus is they don't think like Jesus. Well, duh. I mean, come on. Your beliefs determine your behavior. But more shocking in that study was the discovery that even among religious people, only 9% of born-again Christians actually hold to a biblical worldview that influences how they make decisions. Folks, I'm devastated by that fact. Only 9% of professed Christians use a biblical worldview to make their decisions in life. And we wonder why our society is in such shambles. There was another survey that was taken 62% of all Americans consider themselves deeply spiritual. <clears throat> but when that study really drilled down and, and said, how does that really affect your day-to-day decision-making? The fact of the matter is it didn't. It didn't impact their decision-making at all. Uh, in fact, it said that 24% said they make their moral choices based on what feels comfortable. In other words, I do whatever is comfortable. That's a hedonistic worldview. It feels right. I do that, okay? 16% said they make their moral choices based on the Bible. That's a biblical or theistic worldview. 9% said they make moral choices based on what makes other people happy or causes the least bit of conflict. That's pragmatism. You know, 
Whatever works is what I'm going to do. That's how I'm going to decide. And then 7% said they base their moral choices based on what produces the most beneficial outcome for themselves. Uh, Self-centeredness, individualism, that's the worldview there. The survey went on and it asked about absolute truth. And it's interesting, Americans were divided pretty much equally into three parts here. One-third of all Americans believe in moral truth as being an absolute. There are absolute moral truths in this world that are not dependent upon circumstances. If it's true, it's always true. So one-third of Americans believe that. Another third believe that morality and truth are always determined by the situation you find yourself in. Be true in this situation, not true in that situation, okay? And then another third of Americans stated that they didn't even know there were, that moral truth, absolute moral truths existed. It's just all fluid out there at all. That's why I'm doing this series on worldview. Because the Bible tells us that our worldview is absolutely critical. It's absolutely critical. And, And there are three reasons why it's important what you believe that you have a biblical worldview. First of all, your beliefs shape your life. What you believe shapes your life. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. In other words, what you believe determines the course of your life. (laughs) So you've got to be careful what you believe, because it leads to what you think, and your thinking leads to behavior. And if you don't know what you believe or why you believe it, your life is being shaped by things that you're not even aware of out there. The Bible tells us that our beliefs determine our behavior. Our vision determines our values. And what we see determines what we sense around us. A second reason why it's important to know what you believe is that a faulty worldview causes all kinds of problems in your life unnecessarily. The writer of Proverbs again says in Proverbs 29, 18, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. You know what? When we don't follow God's guidance, when we don't have God's truth, when we don't see what God is doing, when we don't have His worldview in our life, that His view is correct, then we're going to be blown whichever way the wind goes. But when you follow His guidance, you're going to be blessed. Friends, I want your life to be filled with joy. And this isn't rocket science, okay? You want a joyful life? Just pay attention to the truth. Follow God's guidance in your life. You pay attention and you get a worldview that is in line with the reality and biblical truth and not popular opinion. And you're going to find so much more joy in life. And then third, God also expects us to be able to explain our worldview to others. First uh, Peter 3.15, if someone asks about your Christian hope, that's really your worldview, always be ready to explain it. See, God expects you not only to know what you believe and why you believe it, but He wants you to be ready to explain it to others as well. Because our people, I mean, excuse me, our world needs people who know what they believe and why they believe it and who are able to explain to others the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. Because, folks, most of the people in our world don't have a clue. 
they've just got this mishmash, hodgepodge kind of blending of all these different worldviews that just blow them here and there and, and everywhere. And God wants us to be able to explain our biblical worldview to other people. You see, all the conflict that we're seeing today in our world comes down to conflicting worldviews that they just are not working correctly at all. Um, Here's what one writer has to say about uh, these faulty worldviews. He said, the crumbling of our culture, the crisis in our schools, the controversies in our courts, the corruption in our businesses, the chaos in our government and the carnality in our churches, the confusion in our families and the conflict in our own personal lives are all caused by this futile attempt to hold and believe and live out incompatible and contradictory worldviews at the same time. See, if if you and I try to hold on to and work with a wide variety of different worldviews at the same time, we're going to find out you can't do that. It just doesn't work. And the result is all these problems that are in the world around us. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in, in the end it leads to death. So now what I want you to do, let's get practical here. Look back on your outline there, those of you online here in the, in the worship center. Which one of these worldviews, you're not talking to me, you're, nobody's going to look at your notes or anything like that, okay? But which one of these worldviews could you honestly say is where you are personally? Would you say that your life is really driven by materialism? You know, it's all about what I possess, Or maybe you would say, you know what, it's individualism. It's all about me. How about hedonism? It's all about having fun and and pleasure in life. Maybe your worldview is pragmatism. Whatever works is what I'm going to do. Or is it naturalism or, or humanism? You know, there is no God and I'm the only God that I really need in life. Is there one of those that really is predominant in your life? Or... Is it founded and centered in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ? So take a moment and just put a check mark or a star or a dot, you know, by the one that really is kind of predominant in my life. Now let me ask you, will you begin from this day forward to do whatever it takes to center your life in God? Because that's the only philosophy of life, the only worldview that's going to last, that's going to make sense, that's not going to lead to trouble in your life. That's, that's the only worldview that is going to please God. That, that's the only place where you're going to achieve the purpose that God has for your life. Isaiah <coughs> chapter 8 and verse 11 Isaiah said this, he says, The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everybody else does. Let me repeat that. The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everybody else does. That's my strong warning to you folks. Don't follow these false worldviews that lead to destruction. Instead, and again, quoting out of Isaiah 8, Make the Lord of heaven's army holy in your life. In other words, center your worldview in Him. Center your life in Him and in Him alone. (coughs) So what can you do this next week to really build 
a God-centered worldview. Well, find a space there on your outline or a piece of paper or whatever. And I want you just to write down. I'm going to give you some suggestions. And you pick one or two or three and say, yeah, I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start working on that direction. Give you some suggestions. Here's some things you can do this week to start building a biblical worldview into your life. Number one, memorize that verse. Proverbs 14.12. Memorize that verse. There is a way that seems right for a man. But in the end, it leads to death. Why not trying to memorize that this week? Second, spend time every day reading God's Word. Last year, we talked about it. This year is a great year to do it again. Here's a plan. Real easy plan, okay? One chapter a day in the New Testament. When you get through with that, read two Psalms every day. When you get through with that, read the book of Proverbs one chapter a day. And you'll cover the, whole, the entire year. And you'll be immersed in God's Word. You can do that. I know this is the second. You can catch up, okay? All right. So do that. Another thing, folks, begin reading some Christian writers that will help shape your mind to a Christian worldview. It's, don't read those trashy novels. Well, if you do, supplement them with Christian writing, okay? I mean, read some things from David Platt or Max Licato or David Jeremiah or Josh McDowell or his son, uh, Sean McDowell or uh, Charles Stanley or John Piper or J.D. Greer. For heaven's sakes, why not read Crouch? My book's available out there, and it will help you folks to understand the Old Testament and how God loves you. And he's pursued a relationship from the beginning of time for you. So immerse yourself in some Christian reading, okay? That's important to do. Another thing that I would suggest, get into a small group. Small groups have a way to help you to grow like you've never experienced in your life. You have in your bulletin a listing of our small groups. We need to add one more. On Wednesday night, my wife and I are going to lead a couples group. If you're a couple and want a group to be a part of, we're going to meet here at the church at 630. And uh, that's going to start not this week, but next week. Get into a couples group. Get into a group, men's group on Sunday morning, women's group on Sunday morning. we got groups all throughout the week. Get into a group. And then another thing that you could really do, I want to challenge you this year to be more critical of what you watch on TV and in the movies and what you listen to on the radio. Begin to understand the worldview that media is trying to cram down your throat. Folks, what you're going to find is that 99 times out of 100, that is not a biblical worldview. And it's poisoning your life. Be critical what you're watching, what you're listening to. And then uh, the last thing that I would mention, be present every one of these next Sundays to be a part of this series. If you can't be present, get it on YouTube, on Church Online, and watch it during the week. Because every week is going to be building to help you to develop the kind of Christian worldview that you need to, to really build your life on. The last thing that I would mention is you need to build your base on Jesus Christ alone. If you've never accepted Him as Lord and Savior, that's the point to begin. There can be no biblical foundation without Jesus Christ at the center. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. It starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ where you say, Jesus, 
I need you in my life. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong. I know that I am cut off from you. I'm separated from you because of my wickedness. And I ask you to forgive me and to come into my life and cleanse me and give me a fresh start, a brand new life. I want to live for you from this day forward. I want to challenge you to do that. First of the year. What a great thing it would be to start the year right with Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Let's bow for prayer. Father, there are some here who need you in their life as Lord and Savior. I pray right now they might just open their heart and say, Jesus, be my Savior, be my Lord. I choose to live for you from this day forward. Father, others of us need to really get serious about centering our lives in you. We are so such creatures of the world in which we live. We think the world's thoughts and we go the world's ways and we watch the world's entertainment and listen to their music and it poisons our lives. Forgive us, Father. I pray that, you would, you would, that we would rise up to meet the challenge that you've given to us to build a biblical worldview so that we would stand in the truth and not in the falsehoods around us. For it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.